You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby, broadcast live to the Cosmos on the Heritage Radio Network. Good Sunday to everybody out there, and welcome to Cutting the Curd. I'm your host, Ann Saxelby. Our show is being produced today by Jack Inslee, engineered by Nat Wiener, and sponsored once again by Cabot Cheese. Um, Cabot Cheese of Vermont, dairy farm family-owned since 1919, and proud to be your four-time champion of cheddar. Five generations of farming and making naturally-aged cheddar cheese in Vermont. On the web at cabotcheese.com. Um, so if you have any questions for us, you can always call us at the studio, 718-497-2128. Uh, send us an email at info at heritageradionetwork.com or uh, post a, a Twitter thing uh, to at HRN updates. So today our State of Cheese series continues with a state that's not normally associated with bountiful pasture land and flowing milk, but is nonetheless churning out some really great cheese. I'm talking about Utah. Um, and my guest today is Steve Rosenberg, owner and founder and chief eating officer at Liberty Heights Fresh, a sustainable food mecca in a converted gas station in Salt Lake City. Um, thanks for being with us, Steve. Hey, good morning, Ann. It's uh, great to be with you today. Oh, yeah, morning. Jeez, it's still pretty early out by you guys, huh? Well, actually, it's now, it just, it, the clock just struck 12.01, so I'm, I'm turning into a pumpkin as we speak. <laughs> oh, so are you, uh, are you at the shop today? Are you uh, I, taking it I'm easy? I'm at the shop today, and, uh, you know, um, what, what a lot of people don't know is that Utah actually has a very rich and, and uh, history of, of, of dairy farming. I wanted to ask you about that because I was I was trying to do some research online and um, I couldn't really find too much about it other than that the USDA website said that you know dairy cows were or actually dairying was the second most profitable industry in the state. Um, so yeah, tell me what what's the what's the history? Well, you know um, Utah State University, which is about oh an hour and a half, two hours north of Salt Lake City, located in Logan, Utah is a land-grant university, um, has a great school of agriculture and agricultural economics and animal husbandry, and um, they have a dairy innovation center, and um, the Dairy Innovation Center actually has programs to teach cheesemakers who want to um, make farmstead cheese how to um, prosper, how to do it successfully. That's fantastic. So, I mean... I know that a lot of land-grant universities oftentimes are criticized for, you know, favoring um, bigger production methods, you know, kind of kind of co-opting with the industry, big industry. So right. um, at the Dairy Innovation Center, is, is it more predominantly based on small-scale dairy and cheesemaking? You know, uh, much like m- most of the, the food industry, it's over the years, um, you know, uh, has, has focused on big. However, um, in, in recent times, I mean, they have short courses, and um, it's, 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 really, it's really improving. That's awesome. So I mean, they do uh, basic cheesemaking courses, advanced cheesemaking courses. They also do um, quality control workshops, sanitation workshops, HACCP workshops, um, you know, behavioral-based food safety uh, workshops, Hispanic cheese workshops. 
So um, it's a pretty cool. Um, it's pretty cool that we have it there. I mean, obviously, it's the big food industry that pays for a lot of things um, sure. at un- universities or institutions like Utah State. Um, but but they've really recognized in the last few years that. Um, Cheesemakers, um, uh, people have passion and and um, are making some great cheeses here, and and they've evolved. And and you know, um, I you know there are a number of of small farmstead and artisanal cheesemakers here in Utah, and some of them when they began over the court, you know, uh, uh, cheesemaking, you know, five ten years ago, had a real hard time with inspectors making them understand that they're not making cheddar, they're not making Gruyere, they're making a unique style of cheese to the the, the place uh, and and uh, terroir of, of the land in in which their their cows roam and, and um so what, who who are some of your who are some of your favorite cheesemakers or who um I guess you don't have to play favorites but who are some of the sort of up and coming small scale farmstead cheesemakers in Utah and and who are some of the more established maybe bigger companies I'd love to know about both well, um, you know, my favorites are um, um, Jennifer Hines and Pete Schropp, who have six or seven brown Swiss cows. And all they do with their milk from those cows is make cheese. And um, it's called Rock Hill Creamery. Rock Hill and, Creamery. Okay. And, and, where, and where are they located? And they're located in Richmond, Utah. Richmond is about 20 minutes north of Logan in the Cache Valley. That's C-A-C-H-E. Cache Valley and Cache County, and that's where Utah State University is located. And the really cool thing about Richmond, Utah, is that every May they have a festival to celebrate the Holstein cow called Black and White Days. Wow, no way. And people bring their show cows from all over North America to Richmond for, I forget which weekend it is in May, um, but which, I'm sure um, we can find it here before the show is over. Um, but it is really, really cool. So that sounds very similar to, um, you know, European festivals where in the beginning of the season they would bring the cows out and sort of parade them through town and take them up to the mountain pastures. Um, and I know there's, I don't know, is there that kind of, um, it doesn't seem like in Utah there would be that kind of uh, grazing possibility up, up well, in the mountains. Well, it's a very dry place. And so, in some regard, you're correct. However, certain times of the year, there's beautiful pasture, and um, uh, there are pastures that are irrigated with, you know, mountain snow melt, and, um, you know, the cows are are extremely happy just, you know, eating, um, especially in the spring, those grasses. But a lot of the farmers will, you know, irrigate all through the year, these pastures, and then supplement with alfalfa and clover and, and, and other types of hay, yeah. much like many farmers do. But, um, you know, the, the rich history, there's a, there's a significant Swiss immigrant population and, um, in, in the Cache Valley, uh, and uh, there's a, a family that makes cheese um, in a more industrial capacity. They buy milk from many farms, and their company is called Gosner, and they actually make Swiss-style cheeses and, and pack them or package them, um, you know, for supermarkets and for food service, and ship them as far away as California. Wow! wow. And maybe further. Um, and so that would be, you know, uh, one of the bigger cheese producers in the state. And then, as I mentioned, Rock Hill with its six brown Swiss cows. And what kind of uh, cheese does Rock Hill make? Well, they make um, Wasatch Mountain, um, which is uh, just a really, really creamy, very fresh, very clean raw milk cheese. That's aged. They have a beautiful cellar that mm-hmm. that they built um, below their their cheese parlor, 
And um, it's one of those places that anybody who has an interest in cheese, if you come to Utah, you should look them up and visit because it's a remarkable place. And how and long did you say that they've been um, small scale, and they don't ever want to be too big. But they're selling their cheeses um, in a number of shops here in Utah and in Denver, and I know that they just started selling at the Cowgirl Creamery um, 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 at the Ferry Plaza Market in San Francisco. That's fantastic. And yes. how long did you say have they been in operation? You know, somewhere between five and ten years, and I can't tell you exactly when they started, but I remember when Pete and Jen came into my shop. They're both f- former journalists, and, um, you know, they said, we think we want to make cheese, and, and they had been raising um, calves for other dairy farmers in the area, and, uh, you know, one day they called and said, okay, we're doing it, and, and it's just been this wonderful journey, and they, they're making fabulous cheese. They sell at a, a couple of farmer's markets, and we've, we've been offering their cheese, and we love it. And it just keeps getting better and better. Wow. And so um, so that's Rock Hill Creamery. And then another creamery that we hear a lot about, at least on the East Coast, um, is uh, Beehive Cheese. And Beehive is, is a little different in that... Um they don't. They don't have any cows. They buy milk primarily from one dairy, okay. and most people know about their barely buzzed, which is a um, coffee ground and, and lavender rubbed um, cheddar style cheese uh, uh, that that is that has won some awards in the last three years at the at the American Cheese Society conference, and I think that's the cheese that put um, um, Tim and Pete, Tim and Pat, on the map. As, as cheesemakers, and they're making lots of cheese in a place called Uinta, Utah, which is just at the mouth of um, Weber Canyon, just south uh, of Ogden, Utah, which is about 40 miles north of Salt Lake City. Okay, okay. Um, and they're making they're making some nice flavorful you know cheddar style cheeses, um, and a lot of their cheeses seem to be they've gone the direction of of um, doing sort of different rubs on their cheeses to instead yes. of making many different kinds of actual cheese they they make a like you said a cheddar style and then they have all these different kind of things that they do to the rind that kind of influence the flavor, right? Um, right, exactly. So it's kind of interesting taking taking it in that direction. Um, and and it's quite unexpected. I mean, you hear coffee grounds and lavender, and and you know, for me, I was kind of like, I don't know if I buy that. <laughs> you know, then, it's it, it's it's an inter- an, an interesting uh, approach to to um, creating a rind and creating flavor. I mean, one of the cheeses that I really like is called Sea Hive, uh-huh. and it's it's uh, you know the, the the wheels are rubbed with um, sea salt and I think a little bit of honey. Um, and you know, it's just a, a really nice. Um, Middle-aged, middle-aged to me is something that's more than six months um, aged. Um, in the world of cheese, anyway. In the world of cheese, anyway. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. Not to be confused with other things. Um, and and it, it, they're, they're making really nice cheeses. Yeah. No, it's really unexpected. You know, um, I, I, I agree. Yeah, you do stuff like that to, to cheeses, and um, you know, you just never know what the how it's going to influence the flavor, but it, it's a really, uh, it's a really interesting and, and oftentimes delicious thing. Um, you know, it's interesting from, so from, you know, Rock Hill to Beehive to Gosner, you have kind of three, uh, very interesting cheese businesses, all different sizes, all with different ties to and there, the and, area. And there are many other, uh, really wonderful small cheese makers, um, here in the state, uh, there's a place called Gold Creek Farm uh-huh. that has the happiest brown Swiss cows I've ever seen. I was on the farm in the spring, and um, they're making cheddar-style cheeses in a place called Francis, Utah, which is just 
oh, maybe a half an hour drive from Park City. Okay. And, um, and then um, in southern Utah, um, there's a dairy, oh, and, and their name escapes me, and... and um, well, I was wondering, Steve, is there um, any kind of like a cheese organization um, in Utah to, to celebrate and promote these cheesemakers? You know, like Vermont yeah. has the Vermont Cheese Council. Right. We do not have a cheese guild as of yet. I think there's been talk of it. We have a new sheep's milk cheesemaker in a place called Eden, Utah, that is just beginning to make some beautiful cheeses. They, um, um, Steve Hansen, a, a Dane uh, who moved to Utah and bought a herd of, of sheep from someone in Vermont, and his making, um, you know, he's just beginning to, to start selling some cheese, but he's making a, a nice um, sheep's milk camembert here mm. um, and some other, you know, young Bloomy Rhine cheeses that are, you know, I think have a great deal of promise for us. And what's uh, the name of his farm? Does it have a name yet, or is it um, kind of you in know what? I, I'm, I'm just... Um, we're, you're go, we're going fast, and it's Sunday morning, and so I have to uh, <laughs> I have to get the cobwebs out of my brain. But I I, I will do that for you, and, and yeah, and no I'll share worries. Those, um, but his uh, name his name was Stig, and then what was his last name? Hansen. Hansen. Okay, um, that's actually very interesting. I was thinking about Utah and thinking about the landscape and thinking about sheep because it seems like it would be sort of an ideal place for for sheep to you know to grow and and graze. And um, are there other sheep cheesemakers as well, or is this is uh, Mr. Hansen the only one thus far? No, no, no. Uh, well, they, they, they're the only sheep's milk cheesemakers. I think um, uh, Pat and Tim have purchased some sheep's milk from a dairy in um, eastern Idaho, and I think they've played around with some sheep's milk cheeses, but I think they're extremely busy trying to keep up with all the demand for their cheeses right now. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, so now let's let's um, talk a little bit about you. What, what role do you play, and what role have you played in encouraging cheesemakers in your area? Because, you know, you... I mean, your shop is how old now? It's we're in. This is our 18th holiday season. Congratulations! That's awesome. Thanks, thanks very much, Ann. <laughs> it, it is it is pretty amazing when I think about it. You know, our role is to really encourage people to make traditional style cheeses. Um, you know, and 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 you know, use really good uh, um, HACCP standards for um, because clean milk always makes the best cheese. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and you can really taste how um, how clean the milk is when you eat the cheese, and and I think that that's so critical. And so we're we try and encourage people to you know hold you know to tradition and yeah. make things unique to this place, um, and, and, and and yet honor you know you know the recipes that that they you know hope to to emulate, but put their own. Um, touch, if you will, on every wheel. Absolutely. And then and then also, of course, I mean, you guys are the communicators to the general public, which is one of the most important parts of the job to be able to tell your customers about what's being produced right in their own backyard and getting them excited about it. Exactly. And, and you know, it, it's come back to me now. The, uh, the, the, the new uh, cheesemakers in Eden, I have uh, their place is called Snowy, Snowy Mountain Sheep Creamery. Snowy Mountain Sheep Creamery. Okay, cool. We'll be sure and, to get that in the And they're in the Eden, Utah, and it's Sue and Stieg Hansen. Awesome. Okay, and they're cool. um, doing great things. And then um, um, there are some great uh, goat's milk cheesemakers here. There's a lot of, of goat milk uh, production in Utah. You know, the, 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 
the terroir or the or the place is is really um, a great place for goats and sheep. Yeah, and it seems a, like and there's you know, a rich history and... of of Basque and um, and and um, you know sheep ranchers, sheep herders in in uh, Nevada and Utah. I heard, I so I wanted to ask you about that because I knew that um, certainly in Nevada, but I didn't know to what extent in Utah. But can you tell our listeners a little bit about the the Basques and what they what kind of agricultural work they did in the area? You know, um, it's a it's um, there's a town called Elko, Nevada. It's about four four and a half hours west of Salt Lake on Interstate 80, and I know that um, you know in the late 19th, early 20th century, um, it became a place for sheep ranching, and the best sheep herders at the time were from the Basque region of, of what is Spain. And so there was a tremendous uh, immigration from, um, from, from that region of, of people to, um, to tend the sheep and to shear the sheep and to work the sheep. In fact, there's a great film with Anthony Quinn, um, and it's one of those films that's only owned by Turner Network, so that's the only place you ever see it. It's um, <laughs> it's called Wild as the Wind, and it's this great um, story about sheep ranching in Nevada. And it's a, a really great film from the fifties. If you, if you ever get a chance to to dig it up, it's it really very accurately depicts what life was on a sheep ranch in Nevada. You know, in that in that time period. Wow, that is so cool. Yeah, it's just so, to me, it's so unexpected that that group of people would somehow end up concentrated in that part of the country. Um, but those, and those sheep were primarily, you were saying, used for wool and for uh, for yeah. meat as well? or uh, For wool and for, for meat, and there's also a fairly large Basque population in Boise, Idaho. So, you know, the, the whole Great Basin, if you will, uh, west of the Rocky Mountains, has this rich history of... of um, Animal husbandry, you know, of, of dairy cows in the Cache Valley and sheep and goats um, all throughout the region. And there's some great goat's milk cheesemakers. Um, the Drake Family Dairy, which is in West Jordan, Utah, which is just um, literally 15, 20 minutes um, southwest of Salt Lake City, uh, the Drake Family have been raising goats uh, for milk and making cheese for, you know, decades. Wow. Wow. Who knew? I mean, who knew in Utah? This is all totally new and totally fascinating to me. Um, We have to actually take a very quick break. um, But when we come back, uh, we'll talk more about cheesemakers in Utah and uh, more about you, Steve, because we've got to hear about your story. Stay with us on Cutting the Curd. Oh, give me a home where the buffalo The New England and New York farm families who own Cabot Cooperative are offering listeners a chance to win some of the world's best cheddar simply by calling in 718-497-2128 right now or emailing us at info at heritageradionetwork.com. What a great way to start the holidays. We'll be picking a winner for the show one week from today. Cabot Creamery is a proud supporter of what Heritage Radio is all about. Where the deer and the antelope play Where seldom is heard a discouraging word Welcome back to Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Ann Saxelby. Uh, our show today is being sponsored by Cabot Cheese. For more information about Cabot and the wonderful work they do with Vermont dairy families, you can check them out on the web at cabotcheese.com. 
And today we're talking the state of cheese in Utah with Steve Rosenberg, who is the owner of Liberty Heights Fresh, um, a wonderful specialty food market in Salt Lake City. So, Steve, I, it's it's so funny. You're like me. We're, you're so excited about you know talking about all the. Um, the wonderful people you get to communicate with and buy cheese from. Um, tell us a little bit about you. How did you get involved with food and how did you come to own a, a, a food and cheese shop? Great. Um, well, I was raised on a family fruit and vegetable farm in southwest Michigan, about 90 miles east of Chicago across the lake. And I grew up eating all this great you know, produce, and, and um, we had neighbors who had, you know, chickens, and we, we ate their eggs, and we ate their chickens, and we, you know, there was a dairy where we had our milk delivered from, and, you know, growing up, I knew nothing different from what we all consider to be great, authentic, full-flavored food, and it was only when I went to university and ate dormitory cafeteria food <laughs> that I realized how askew the world was when it came to what and how we eat. Yeah, that was a depressing experience for me too. I mean, you know, I, I know that uh, people like Alice Waters are, you know, attacking the lunchroom cafeteria and I applaud them for it, but somehow we need to attack the college dorm cafeteria because I, I and I haven't eaten in one in a long time and I don't have many desire to, but it, it was atrocious and I, I can't imagine it's a whole lot better now. But, you know, I just grew up you know, knowing the flavor of a tree-ripened peach because I was in the orchard picking them um, to send to market. And, and um, you know, I, had I stayed on the farm, I guess I would have been uh, fourth generation. Wow. Um, you know, and, and you know, I, I ended up going to work one summer while I was in college for a customer of my father's who had an open-air market in a resort town between where I grew up in Chicago and... and um, and I really loved it. And I ended up studying um, agricultural economics at, at Michigan State University. And, and, in, in Lansing? Uh, Is it? In East Lansing, okay. yes. Mm-hmm. And um, ended up going to work for a, a large food distribution company who, uh, who, who shall remain anonymous, but who I like to say was where I learned how not to do business. <laughs> yeah, so interesting. So you were you the first in your family to really step out of that role of the farmer and get into the job of the, um, the seller? You know, um, I, basically everyone in my generation has left the farm, which I'm kind of sad about, but, you know, it's... Um, you know, agriculture in America has changed... Um, transformed in the last 65 years and, and not always for the better. Absolutely. Well, and you, through your your work now, are creating opportunities for farmers who are bucking the trend of, you know, sort of typical agriculture. So you're still, you're still in it. It's just, uh, yeah, it's a, like you said, it's a, it's a, it's a very quickly changing landscape and being a, a farmer, the way that your parent, the way that your grandparents farm probably wouldn't be possible today, unfortunately. <laughs> Well, you know, I think things have changed a lot, but there also, I think, um, in the last five to ten years, uh, there's a resurgence of, you know, uh, people who are really trying to connect uh, urban dwellers with their food um, makers and producers. And, uh, you know, um, uh, I've I've gotten to know so many great farmers here. I mean, there's a rich history of fruit and vegetable farming all along what is the Wasatch Front, uh, the area north and south of Salt Lake City that stretches for more than 100 miles uh, west of the Wasatch Mountains? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, there's, there, there are 
in the 20th century, there were many orchards, and in the black muck wetlands uh, east of the Great Salt Lake, there was a great um, area for growing vegetables. I mean, celery and 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 those kinds of things. And as we all know, so many of those areas have died out. And and here, the the sad part is that the best uh, locations for growing things like uh, tree fruit and vegetables, uh, that land has been consumed by urban sprawl. Ah, uh, I see. I see. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's really interesting for me to hear about all these um, different topographical details because I've actually never been to Utah. And, you know, I grew up in the Midwest and now I live here on the East Coast. And so hearing about the black muck and the Great Salt Lake and the basin and everything, it's just, uh, it's, 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 it's fascinating and difficult for me to imagine sometimes um, what these different landscapes look like and how, um, you know, and the food that comes from them. Um, but it's, uh, it's an incredibly, like you said, an incredibly rich area. Um, so how do you source, uh, how do you source products for your shop in general? Do you go out? Do you, do you see people? How do you meet your producers and how do you bring it into the shop? You know, that's a, that's the greatest challenge being in, in a location that's so far from so many resources and so many sources. And it's, it's always been a core value to never compromise the integrity of the food we sell. And so we've just always um, sought out people who are first and foremost passionate about what they're doing and really committed to tradition and and really committed to making great-tasting, authentic, full-flavored food. And, you know, we do whatever we have to. We've we've been very creative with logistics um, to get things from other parts of the country or even other parts of the world uh, to our shop in Salt Lake City. And, you know, we, we... we work really hard to discover, and you know, I have traveled extensively uh, around the USA and, uh, and around the world. You know, in Europe, uh, especially speaking of cheese, I've been to cheese conferences um, both, uh, the, the, you know, here in the states as well as uh, in France and Italy and Spain. And um, it's just really important, I think, that we expose people to the best of traditional uh, cheeses. Um, because the American populace generally doesn't know that there may be, you know, 80 different makers of uh, a cheese like Parmigiano-Reggiano, but they don't, and they all make it to a minimum standard, but the sky is the limit in terms of a maximum quality for flavor and texture. And um, it's, it's, you know, those traditions are really Im- important to, that we honor and respect. Absolutely. Well, speaking of tradition and um, and cheese and all the rest, um, we haven't really taken too much time yet to talk about raw milk in Utah. Um, what's the state's stance? Because I know it's, it's different in every state, and it's a question I always ask um, because I'm curious to know what the rules are. Can you buy it in a store? Can you buy it off the farm? What's the, you know, are, are inspectors cool with raw milk cheesemakers? Um, and inspectors here are um, really great resources for cheesemakers. They're, um, you know, they have a job to do, and their job is extremely important in terms of how safe the food is that we all have to eat. That being said, um, the state is very entrepreneurial, very supportive of entrepreneurial agriculture, and and as a consequence, there there are people making raw milk cheeses. And um, and they're inspected, you know, frequently. And uh, you know, there's 
a great deal of learning um, that goes both ways. Both the inspector learns from people who are now making raw milk cheeses, and the cheesemakers learn from uh, the knowledge that, that that these inspectors have. And it's uh, a very um, it's kind of a it's, symbiotic relationship. It's a, it's a symbiotic relationship. There have been tense moments, but I think that um, you know the, the, the most important thing is that you know that the cheese that the cheeses that are being made are not only delicious but they're very safe and um you know and we've been fortunate in that um you know those who've dis- uh, chosen uh, cheese making as a vocation have really done their work uh, to maintain HACCP standards and um, listen to the feedback from the, the state department of agriculture inspectors and really follow through to make sure that they're, you know, above and beyond the standards for food safety and um, aging, um, you know, a minimum of 60 days and, and really presenting a great, a great product. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so, and what about, uh, so what about raw milk? Um, can uh, licensed dairies sell raw fluid milk in Utah? They can only directly to the consumer. Okay, so it's like it so, is in New York that we so have they the can't, same rule. I, I couldn't buy raw milk and sell it to the public, but the people who um, I think there are only a few dairies in the state that are selling to raw milk directly to the public, um, but it is available, and um, I, I think um, it's generally safe. And I think the state does a really good job of monitoring to make sure that it is safe. Absolutely. Um, well, uh, you know, something else that I wanted to ask you about, just because I thought it was interesting on your website, um, you know, we're talking about this tradition and, and, you know, the sort of, um, the noble work that goes into all these foods. And, um, there was something on your website that, um, mentions, you know, you valuing the sort of almost spiritual qualities of foods and how it interacts with your body and, you know, how, what you, you are, what you eat basically. Um, can you talk a little bit about that and what, uh, you know, how because I think that's a really beautiful sentiment um so I just I, you know wanted to ask I, you about it I, yes I'm you know for me um I think that the, the the greatest joy I have in the work that I do is meeting these people who produce the food and whether they're a fruit grower or a dairy farmer or a turkey farmer turkey rancher um or a chocolate maker or a salami producer, you know, they're just so passionate about what they do, and they have so much knowledge. And, you know, in, in terms of the, the, that connection that I think we all fail, or not, not everyone, but so many, especially now, people are so disconnected from where their food comes from. And I believe that food that is made with a great deal of love and care um, has a value that's that's um, that, that's difficult to to um, monetize, and, and what I mean by that is that you know, in, in 100 years ago, a typical household spent 40 percent of their income on food, yeah, and and, and basically nothing on health care or what we now call health care. I have another. I have some other words for it that I can't say on the radio. Um, <laughs> We're internet radio. You can say whatever you want. <laughs> all right. Um, and 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 now um, you know people spend less than eight percent of their income on food that they eat at home, and people have mistaken uh, quantity for quality, and people have mistaken you know cheap food, um, and they haven't yet t- connected the dots and that. 
cheap food is very expensive because it creates so many ailments. Yeah. And, you know, our shop, I, I, I tell people we are not a natural food store. However, um, we don't want to sell and we don't sell anything that doesn't contain ingredients. It, it, you know, basically our standard is the ingredients in the food that we sell, your great-grandparents would recognize as food. Yep. Yep, absolutely. And if you can't pronounce it, then we, you know, it's not food. And if and if you can't, um, you know, if you don't recognize it, I mean, it, it sh- you shouldn't need a, a, a degree in in biochemistry to shop for food to figure out and, what all that stuff in there is. Yeah. And yet, we I also believe that that pleasure at the table creates a, an emotional well being that no one has yet to measure uh, its true value to society. Yeah, that's true. People talk about carbon footprints and all kinds of uh, things like that, but you never talk about your uh, your dinner table footprint on uh, <laughs> yeah on your own emotional happiness. Um, I totally agree with you. I completely I- agree. Um, and with cheese, of course, you know it kind of goes down to the you know the infinitesimally small you know degree every everything that the cheesemaker does from how they how they manage their land to how they raise their animals to how they milk their animals and make their cheese and then us finally getting to enjoy it all that kind of cumulative cumul- cumulatively has uh has just a, a very um meaningful impact well i just read a uh, some research recently that said that dairy farms who have names for their cows the cows produce more milk <laughs> they're happier cows they're healthier cows and i find that very fascinating um and yet dairy farmers who name their cows that, probably you know, animals were meant to be loved and honored and respected and you know they're they're not um they're not factories yeah they're they're creatures that just like you and i um should have a, a, a you know a happy life yeah yeah, absolutely. And and watching, you know, brown Swiss cows sort of gallop and, and, and play on their way to a milking parlor is just the most beautiful thing to see. <laughs> so so as chief eating officer, you've totally picked the right job. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. I think so. I, I, I just, uh, you know, um, it's been quite a journey. I mean, when we started, you know, nearly 18 years ago, a lot of people said, you know, you, you, there's no place for what you're doing here in Utah. And 18 years later, we're we're doing okay. Happy to prove them wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and even more happy to make so many people happy. Yeah, yeah, and well fed. Well, yes. well, I, unfortunately, we are out of time uh, on the show. But thank you so much for taking time out on a Sunday uh, to to talk with us and to name all those wonderful dairies in Utah. I can't wait to get those all up on our website so people can check in and get more information about Utah cheesemakers. Um, so, Steve, actually, before we go, what's what's the website of your shop? It's uh, www.LibertyHeightsFresh.com. Great. All right. Well, thank you again, and uh, hope to see you real soon at next year's ACS, if not before. That sounds great, Anne. Have a great holiday season, and, and, uh, and, and take care. You too. All right. Thanks, Steve. Bye-bye, Ann. Bye-bye. Often at night, when the heavens are bright, with lights from the glittering.